We are standing in front of a relatively nondescript white door that says, please leave all bags outside of this room. No food or drink allowed in this room. <laughs> I shouldn't have made uh, us martinis before uh, yeah, we walked like, in. Asif Manvi here. Well, actually, I'm not sure where I am exactly. I am lost at the Smithsonian. What do you call these? Filing cabinets? They are museum storage cabinets. These are state-of-the-art. Really yeah. I'm with curator Ryan Lintelman at the National Museum of American History, staring at some surprisingly high-tech storage cabinets. They are sealed and gasketed so that they create little micro-environments in there so that if there are fluctuations in the humidity and temperature of this room, it protects the stuff that's inside. Wow. That well, feels like it would be helpful just for everyone. I personally sleep in one. Yeah. <laughs> it's very nice at <laughs> I feel like I should clarify. I am not here for the cabinetry. I am here because I'm searching for 10 iconic objects from American entertainment, and one of them is just a cabinet door away. Wowzer, here are Muppets. Hi-ho, Kermit the Frog here. The Muppets have been around for more than 60 years, and based on how many shows and movies they've been in, they haven't had a day off that whole time. Between The Muppet Show, Sesame Street, Fraggle Rock, The Muppet Movie, and much more, The Muppets have reached hundreds of millions of people all over the world. Phenomena. Can you sing the alphabet, Joey? Yes. Yes, I could. A, B, C, D, E, F, to Cookie Monster. <laughs> Cookie Monster is in the letter of the alphabet. Cookie! Um, nom, 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 one of the most recognizable Muppets is Kermit the Frog. He's been around since 1955. Now, pure pork sausages, you will find. Kermit was created by Jim Henson, a brilliant puppeteer who fashioned the famous frog from an old green coat that his mother threw out. This is his, was yeah. the actual coat. That's the coat. And, uh, you know, he's made from materials that were around Henson's house, right? You know, he's, you can see the jeans sticking out of the bottom there, too. Those are Jim Henson's jeans. Where the hand went. Yes, right. right. Items to call to your attention, but they just become much too numerous to mention. Like Frank. Before he passed away in 1990, Jim Henson created hundreds of Muppets. Many of them are well known, but there are a whole bunch of Muppets from the early days that most people haven't even heard of. Those Muppets are artifacts from the very earliest days of Jim Henson's long and storied career. Her name is Luna, she's a peach, but don't leave food within her reach, or babies. Those early Muppets date back to the 1950s from a show called Sam and Friends. Some of them go back even further to Henson's early days at the University of Maryland. And now, the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History has more than 30 of those original obscure Muppets. This is Yorick, Mushmelon, uh, Icky Gunk, Chicken Liver, there's Pierre the French Rat. Those early Muppets paved the way for the Muppets who are today household names the world over. Ah, there's Fozzie. This is Grover. And that's Bert and Ernie. Yep. Wow, that's pretty down, cool. Down below here and is that's... some of the others. Count von Count. Too. Oh, right, look at that. Oh, man. And then, of course, there's my all-time favorite, the Belle of the Ball, Miss Piggy herself. Miss Piggy, in all her glory, she's wearing a ball gown, a, like she's de decked out to go out on the town, right? Holy maracas! Later, I'll talk with Frank Oz, Jim Henson's right-hand man, 
who gave Miss Piggy her voice and persona. What is it about puppets and puppeteering that you wish people would ask you that they don't? I wish they don't ask me anything. Really? Yeah. Thank you. Good night, everyone. No, because I'm not a puppeteer. I am Miss Piggy. And I'll also talk to her designer, Bonnie Erickson, who, by the way, asked me to pass a message along to Miss Piggy when I visited her in storage. Tell her that I send my love and that her masseuse has been asking about her. <laughs> okay. All right, I will. <laughs> so how exciting are, is it to have the Muppets here at the Smithsonian? It's, it's awesome. It's, it's one of the things that, as a curator, when you take people in to see them and you open up that cabinet and they see these characters that they've seen throughout their lives just kind of like bursting out, it's an awesome moment. You know, a lot of the collection ends up sort of behind the scenes. And are the Muppets out a lot? We, we try to keep at least one Muppet on display at all times. Right. Uh, because you can tell so many stories with them. You know, right now we're using... Who's on uh, display right now? Cookie Monster is out. He's helping okay. us to explain the, how the arts and culture support philanthropy. So there's an exhibit here called Giving in America. And, you know, this the philanthropic angle of Children's Television Workshop, its educational mission... He's a great philanthropist. That's a he bit gives, of a stretch. The guy is basically all he does is eat cookies. <laughs> and this is mostly about cookies. If you guess what is in the box, yeah. I'll give you a cookie. It's a horse. No. It's a cow. Mm. It's a cotton no, ball. No, no. It's a pogo stick. No, no. It's a rump roast. No, 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 no. It's a moose. No, 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 no. Those, 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 are, those are wild guesses. Well, me wild about cookies. Yes, but we had Miss Piggy right. out no, as uh, one of the leading female comedians of the 20th century. Really? Which was kind of an interesting take. She but, you know. I love that. Yeah. I don't know if um, you know this, but she was allowed to wear the Hope Diamond for the cover of Smithsonian Magazine. Wow. How great is that? <laughs> I'm talking to Bonnie Erickson, who designed and built Miss Piggy. When Miss Piggy came to the National Museum of American History in 2013, the museum wanted to make sure that her entrance was just as glamorous as she would have wanted. And that's why Miss Piggy got to do a photo shoot for Smithsonian Magazine wearing one of the most valuable objects in their entire collection. Is she the first puppet to wear the Hope Diamond? I would think so, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but getting the two of them together was no easy task. The 45-carat Hope Diamond required a secret pre-dawn escort and an armed guard. And so did Miss Piggy. But at the end of the day, Bonnie Erickson thinks it was all worth it. And the necklace fit her perfectly. Of course um, it did. I actually got to touch it just the teeniest bit because I was adjusting it on her neck. We put it on, and with the dress she was wearing, uh, you'll have to look it up. I'm sure it's online. She looks absolutely beautiful. I am the singing star of this show. A singing pig. So now that they're here at the museum, they're among the most popular objects that we have, which I think is kind of, it proves their continuing resonance with people and that they're important in American life. The term Muppet is another Jim Henson original. It's a word he came up with at the start of his career to describe his puppet act. But what exactly Muppet means and where it came from was never really something Jim Henson nailed down too specifically. 
At different times, he would say it was a portmanteau of marionette and puppet that he was putting them together, or right. that he was riffing on Moppet, which is what kids are called sometimes, you know, like little like ragamuffin type, oh. you know, that, that name for children. But he never really came up with a good explanation for it, or at least it would change. Really what it meant was that this was a new style of puppet. And so he, you know, created this, what some, you know, puppet scholars have called the American folk style of puppetry. It's not easy being green. Well, what's cool about Jim Henson is that he never intended to be a puppeteer. He, he really wanted to work in television. When he got to school and he started to take some classes in puppetry and then got an opportunity to do this puppet show on the local television station, he thought, oh, okay, well, I can do that. I really want to work in television. And so let me give that a try. And the puppet show he was offered actually had a great lead in it, led into The Tonight Show. And so, you know, he had like, I think it was five minutes or something every night, you know, to do the show. Henson's first TV show was Sam and Friends, a local TV series in Washington, D.C. Henson started the show when he was a college freshman in 1955, running two episodes a week until 1961. The Muppets were created to be adult entertainment, but Henson was still figuring things out, and the early Muppets often looked very different from how they look now. I mean, Kermit... He wasn't even a frog. He was more of a lizard-like thing. I'm honored to be in the studio with two very distinguished NBC newsmen. You know how when a newsman is giving his news, he's so self-controlled and precise? Well, we want these two guys just to relax and enjoy a couple moments of pleasant conversation. Here first we have... Chad Hutley, NBC News, New York. Yes, indeed, but let's not be quite so formal. Why don't you just call me Kermit and I'll call you... uh, uh, well, what would you like me to call you? Chet Huntley. Oh, okay, Chet Huntley. So Henson knew what was unique about television, right? That it kind of created its own proscenium. That the screen that you're yeah. looking at blocks out whatever you don't want to see, right? Sure. And you can move the camera in and you can zoom in on faces and that sort of thing, right? Which was never the case with puppet shows before. So the puppets that he created were made from really flexible materials. They were very expressive. They had big faces. And the puppeteers themselves could watch closed-circuit television with the puppets up above them to see what they were doing in real time so that they could be reactive, they could work together in ways that puppeteers hadn't been able to do before. While Sam and Friends was on the air, Jim Henson also landed a gig using his Muppets to make commercials for the Wilkins Coffee Company. You getting on the Wilkins Coffee bandwagon? Never. You either go with Wilkins or you just don't go. In the span of just four years, Henson wrote, directed, and performed more than 150 10-second slapstick ads for Wilkins. If you don't drink Wilkins coffee, you're not all there. Oh, that's a lot of... In fact, without Wilkins coffee, you're nowhere. (laughs) I I could watch these all day. He had two characters, Wilkins and Wontkins, who were Muppets. And, um, you know, one of the best known is the character Wilkins has a cannon and he's pointing it at Wontkins and he asks him what he thinks of Wilkins' coffee. He says, never had it. And he shoots him with a cannon and he explodes. Right. And then he, Wilkins turns the cannon towards the viewer and he says, what do you think of Wilkins' coffee? You know, people who don't drink Wilkins' coffee just blow up sometimes. Oh, that's a lot of... See what I mean? Can you imagine if you're like a coffee executive in Washington, D.C. in like 1960, right? And this like 20-year-old kid comes in. And he's like, you know how I want to market your coffee? I want to have puppets like shooting each other, right? right? And threatening each other. If they don't drink this coffee, they're right. going to get killed. <laughs> but, you know, he didn't have all that history of advertising people. He's just thinking like, how would I get my attention? You know, how would I make myself laugh and get 
thinking about this right. coffee and have a positive association with it. Everything that he did was like 10 years ahead of its time. Thank you. Thank you. The coffee commercials made Wilkins a bit of a star, but the first celebrity Muppet was actually Rolf. Oh, I'm not a big, I'm not a big TV star. Uh, a starlet, maybe, but not a, not, not a star, you know. Rolf was a scruffy brown dog with a round black nose and long floppy ears who became a recurring character on the Jimmy Dean show in 1963. I bet you got a lot of offers and things after the show last well, well, you know, Lassie called right after the show. Really? Yeah, she's running scared. So Jimmy Dean had this variety show, huh. the country musician, and Rolf was kind of like his sidekick. So this was a big break for the Muppets. And, right. and Jimmy Dean would kind of lean on the fence posts and talk to Rolf, you know, this good old boy dog, and they'd make jokes and sing songs together. And people loved Rolf. Rolf got way more fan mail than Jimmy Dean ever did on this show. Right. Now we ain't got a barrel of money. Maybe I'm shaggy and funny. Jim Henson's ads for the Wilkins Coffee Company got him more commercial work. The Muppets that starred in those commercials often wound up becoming celebrities in their own right. Rolf, for instance, was a spokesdog for Purina. If ordinary dog foods leave you flat, try Purina dog chow, right? The commercials were good work, but what Jim Henson really wanted was for his Muppets to have a TV show of their own. And then, in 1969, the Children's Television Workshop asked Jim Henson to create some Muppets for its new kids' show, Sesame Street. I'm a friend of Kermit's. Oh. Yeah, we both come from the same neighborhood, Sesame Street. Oh, isn't that that cute little children's show with puppets? Then came Big Bird, Oscar the Grouch, Grover, Fozzie Bear, Elmo, Bert and Ernie, and Cookie Monster. And they were soon one of the most popular segments of Sesame Street. You know, he was really excited about the opportunity to work with Sesame Street and, and really loved it. You know, he didn't charge a fee, basically, to work on Sesame Street. You know, he did this out of the love of the project. And But over time, he never wanted them to be seen as something just for children, mm -hmm. right? And that's the risk that he always ran, especially when he would work on these children's television projects. So I think the rest of his career, after the success of Sesame Street, he was always fighting against this perception that he was a children's entertainer. Right. And so everything that he did was trying to prove the puppets, you know, were just as funny and just as entertaining to adults as children. Moving right along in search of good times and good news With good friends you can't lose This could become a habit whether or not he wanted to, Jim Henson revolutionized educational programming. And that gave him the opportunity to prove that he had the chops to entertain adults as well as children. Getting there is half the fun, compare it with me. I have a question for you. you High, highly unprecedented, but go ahead. <laughs> I'm back with Bonnie Erickson, Miss Piggy's designer. You lived part of your life in London, right? Or in England? I'm, I mean, I grew up in England, but I, but I live now in New York. Yes, but what I was going to ask you is, were you in England when The Muppet Show came out? Yes, that, so my first exposure to The Muppets... That's what I figured. ...was when I was a kid in England. And, and I didn't realize that it was actually shot in England because it was such an American show, you know? It, was, it, it seemed very American to us. Maybe it's because I'm a Londoner. That I love London so. In 
1976, CBS went all in on Jim Henson and all in on the Muppet Show aimed at grown-ups with the biggest budget ever for a syndicated program. But there was a catch. He had to make it in London. In less than two years, the Muppets had gone back across the Atlantic and took the United States by storm. And shortly after that, well, The Muppet Show became the most popular show in the world. It's The Muppet Show with our special guest star, Miss Candace Bergen. The Muppet Show was so big, it could attract major celebrity guests. What's next, Scooter? Oh, you'll love this, boss. Here he is, Steve Martin. And though a certain childlike wonder was part of The Muppet's DNA, the show was definitely a hit with adults. Then came The Muppet Movie, Fraggle Rock and other major motion pictures like The Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. He was almost like the Walt Disney of puppets. Yeah. I think it's the same with the Muppets. I mean, other people do puppets, right? But, But this whole idea of this American folk style of puppetry, everybody who's doing puppets today owes a debt of gratitude to Jim Henson because he made puppets relevant again. He made them useful and entertaining and created this new vocabulary of what a puppet could do. Sadly, Jim Henson died suddenly in 1990 at only 53 years old. He came down with an illness that went from sore throat to lethal infection in only a few days. After his death, the Henson family eventually sold the rights to the Muppets to the Walt Disney Company. When cynicism and snark reign supreme, the sincerity of the Muppets is a welcome change of pace. Something Jim Henson knew when he created them. I think we play these characters as real characters, and their strength lies in the whole group. Mm. And I think the, the sort of the warmth between them is very key. Jim Henson sincerely believed that the Muppets had the power to make the world a more positive place. This was his Muppet magic, an inexhaustible well of positivity. But he couldn't do it alone. Jim Henson surrounded himself with Muppeteers and Muppet makers who shared his vision. Bonnie Erickson and Miss Piggy were a central part of that core group. What was it about Miss Piggy that made her such a fan favorite, you think? First of all, the idea of a pig as a diva is a sort of funny concept to begin with. Right. She just feels she's the most beautiful thing in the world. Right. And nothing that you say is going to change her mind. (laughs) And I think that appeals to a lot of people. Yes, Piggy? There is something you could do that would make moi very, very happy. Well, Well, tell me what it is. Miss Piggy and Kermit are a Muppet couple. Their relationship works because it's so human. It's flawed. It's messy. But it, you know, it works for them. Miss Piggy is a complete overbearing narcissist, and Kermit's too nice and too smitten to call her out on it. We've all been there. My dressing room sink is stopped up again. (laughs) Miss Piggy was created in 1974 by Bonnie Erickson. She built her body from foam but crafted her character from a larger-than-life star. I can wash up 44 pairs of socks and have them hanging out on the line. Miss Piggy, I named her, actually, myself, after my mother's favorite singer, Peggy Lee. And oh, wow. I first called her Miss Piggy Lee. 
And then um, right. the lawyers thought maybe that wasn't such a good idea. I meant it as homage because right. my mother really loved this singer, and so did I. Oh, um, they thought it would be insulting? They were worried. And right. I don't know. Nobody ever asked her. People don't ask people what they feel about stuff like that. No, so they, we yeah. changed it to Miss Piggy. But it was Frank Oz, ultimately, who really gave her the truck driver character she became. Frank came up with this whole background for her, something like she came from a litter of 17 pigs and there were only 16 nipples. And yes, she had I've to heard fight that. her way out of the farm. And, you know. Well, that right there whole... tells you everything about her, right? According to Frank Oz, Miss Piggy's father died in a tractor accident, and she had a falling out with her mother. Since there was nothing left for her on the farm where she grew up, she made her way to the Big Apple. Then, Miss Piggy enrolled in charm school. But she had to do some things she wasn't proud of to pay for it, like a bacon commercial. Well, one man's poison is another man's bacon. (laughs) 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 Barbarian! There was a script where it called for Miss Piggy to slap Kermit the Frog. Mm -hmm. And Frank happened to be doing her that day. He took a wallop off, a, a real karate chop. All of us were on the floor laughing, and we knew that here was Frank and Jim, this great comedy team and that that was going to be what the future held. Put this You do stuff you don't think about, right? Mm-hmm. Right. That's Frank Oz, a legend amongst Muppeteers, second only to Jim Henson himself. Frank was Henson's other half and some of the Muppets' most famous duos. The voice of Bert from Bert and Ernie, Miss Piggy from Piggy and Kermit. For some unknown reason, I karate chopped him. And that crystallized her for me because she's a pig. Yeah. She's not attractive. She can't sing. She can't dance. She can't tell jokes. The only thing she has is tremendous bravura. Okay? All right. And Sounds so, like my first marriage. <laughs> oh, what a cheap no, joke. No. What a cheap... Do you want to edit no. that out? Uh, no. We have this wonderful joke to tell. Actually, it's, yes. It's joke telling time. It's Kermit's joke, actually. Uh, Go ahead, tell it, Kermit. Uh, well, uh, I thought you were going to tell it. Oh, okay. I'll tell it. I'll tell okay. it. Okay. Frank Oz grew up around puppets. Both of his parents were active members of the Puppeteers of America. You'd think that'd mean that Frank was born to be a puppet guy. But that's not how he sees it. I'm not a puppet guy. I never have it. I've been a character guy, not a puppet guy. Right. Do you find that the puppet sometimes becomes the alter ego of the puppeteer? No. No. See, this is what this is wishful thinking on your part. It is? People, yeah, people love the idea of, oh, a ventriloquist, oh, he's taking over his soul, and wow. somebody, you know, it's all crap. So what is crap? it? What is it then? Yeah, you can say crap. You it's say crap. All kinds of, it's what crap. is it? What is it then we're that prof- makes you want to be a puppeteer? Prof- we're professional. I didn't want to be a puppeteer. What, what? I, want, I want to be a journalist. Oh, interesting. Uh, 18, I, I just gave up because the puppet stuff was just a way for me to make some extra money. And then at 18, I uh, gave up and wanted to go to be a journalist. went to uh, school for that. And then uh, Jim asked me. He had seen me when I was 17 years old performing, and he asked me when I was 19 to come to New York in 1964. And that's what happened. Hey, what's up, Bert? Hey, don't bother me. I'm going to sneeze. There. Not better, Ernie. That's good. Thanks. Bert, bad news, Bert. What's that? Uh, well, it's your nose here. Uh, afraid you uh, 
Sneeze your nose off there, Bert. We're not cute or precious about it. We, as a matter of fact, we we hate cute. Mm. It's pejorative to us. Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, Jim hated cute so much that he created a character called Bean Bunny, who was really cute, so it could take the cute onus off of the rest of the Muppets. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would describe the Muppets ever as cute. I think they yeah, were— People do, and it's—, it's uh, it's okay. However they describe them, it's fine. You know, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I'm kind of making a play on this uh, whole puppet thing because people want me so much to be a certain thing. Right. I remember I went to do a photograph for Vogue with Miss Piggy at that time, and the photographer, very famous photographer, Irving, very famous photographer. The Irving, Irving, the famous photographer, you Irving. Know, yeah. <laughs> someone out there will. We'll, we'll have our, someone we'll out have our there, people on it. Someone out yeah. there will have the yeah, yeah, yeah. answer yeah, for no, his we'll last get, name. We'll, we'll get it. Pen, um, pen. Irving Penn, you're right. There you go. It was Irving Penn. Irving Penn. That's exactly yes. right. And th- as soon as you opened the door, he looked at me and said, oh, I expected you to have a top hat on. Really? Now, this is kind of normal because, and I'm just a normal guy. I do my laundry. I do my dishes. You know, sure. Not, but people expect something else. You're not that I wouldn't right. join any puppet group by any means. I joined Muppets because of the characters, mm. the character work. That's that's what it's about for me. But would you say there is a skill? Because I know many actors who are really good at character work, and but I don't know if they could they do what you did. They can't. We learned from Jim for years and years. Wow. And it took years and years until it becomes part of you. Right. And that that training is what an actor doesn't do. See, the difference between acting and puppeteering yes. is... The puppeteers use their arm as a tool. The actors use their entire body as a tool. So what was your first character that you did that you felt like belonged to you? I didn't think any of them belonged to me because I didn't do voices. I didn't do voices for four years. I was scared of do- death to do voices. Mm. People call me a voice person. And I'm not a voice person at all. But now it seems I'm known for doing voices, and I was scared out of my mind. Jim almost gave up on me. Because I was so scared to do voices. And Jim did the voices of all the Muppets for the first few years that I did because I didn't have any uh, confidence. And what was the thing that pushed you over the edge into doing voices? Was it just you? Jim forced me. I think I was part of a, a two-headed monster act for like two minutes. I forgot what it was. And I was scared to death. And Jim forced me to do it. And I remember the old adage. I remember looking at the mirror and said, okay, Frank, if you can't be good, be loud. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the old well, adage, right? Very good, very good and acting I was. advice. And, and, but when Sesame Street started, I still was not good. But what Sesame Street allowed us to do was to grow. Uh, we did five bits a day for years. So that allows you a place to work with your craft. Mm-hmm. And again, it allows you to play with other people because I know I cannot do create a character on my own. Mm. It's impossible. I need the other performers you and they need, need the me. collaboration. One doesn't create in a vacuum. Yeah. Now, it's interesting that you said that you were scared initially because Miss Piggy is the opposite of scared. <clears throat> Between being scared and, 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 and creating Miss Piggy, what was that process? So it took yeah. about 15, 20 years before I did Piggy. Wow. So Piggy really, because that's all she had, she really reflected a coyness that women had to have mm. in order to project themselves as uh, desirable for men. That 1950s coyness, like, oh my gosh, the man's... Yes. The... But underneath it, she's a, she's a truck driver. Right. Moi does not have regrets. I have lawyers, publicists, and film editors, but not regrets. 
But Frank's confidence grew, and in time, he would go on to do not only Miss Piggy, but many iconic Muppet characters, including Cookie Monster, Grover, Bert, Fozzie Bear. Ah, are you ready, comedy partner? Waka waka. Ready? Okay, let's try some elephant jokes. <clears throat> Fozzie has only one goal, and that's to be the funniest bear in the world. Mm. And he will never, ever succeed, but he will never, ever give up. Story of many of our lives. Right. And he has tremendous, tremendous insecurity. Yeah. And so that became Fozzie for me. But it, it, it took me working with the writers, with Jim, with the other performers to do that, not alone. That collaborative Absolutely. Thing. How do you know when there's an elephant in your refrigerator? How? By the footprints in the peanut butter. Talk to me about Bert and Ernie. Well, Jim and I tried playing around with Bert and Ernie when they were made, and he tried Bert and I tried Ernie in the workshop in front of a mirror, and that didn't work, so I took Bert. Hey, Bert. Why is it, Ernie? You know, Bert, I, I just remembered. I didn't put away all my toys. I left a big mess in the other room. Do you think I should get up and, and, and clean that stuff up now? Ernie, it's time to go to sleep now. You can do that in the morning. What happened was Jim was very playful, and he was an instigator. So he was more like Ernie. Okay, ah. Me, I was neurotic, and I was uptight. <laughs> so I was more like Bert, right. without knowing it. I'm messy, and, and you don't like it messy. But because I'm your friend, you don't mind too much if I'm messy. Well, not too much, Ernie. Let's just go to sleep. Jim got Ernie right away, because that was his playfulness. But Ernie had, was soft and cuddly, and he had hands, and I just had this stick. Basically, just a stick with arm bars. And I had that damnedest time for trying to figure out what the character was and because it was so boring. And then I realized, great, he'll be boring. So I created the most boring character I could possibly think of. Wow. And so that I used that as a strength. And now, you know, his favorite color is gray. He, you know, he, yeah. <laughs> his, he studies the tributaries of all the rivers around the world, yeah. all the most boring stuff in the world. The so more- that, that created that, and, and it created a... A straight man who just wanted to be left alone, and that allowed Jim to really be an instigator. A little noise? Like what? Like this, Bert. You didn't mind that, did you, Bert, old pal? Uh, not, uh, Ernie. For Cookie Monster, he's, he, he's a sensualist, you know? Now, what starts with the letter C? Cookie starts with C. So he's not an academic. <laughs> and he's very selfish. All he wants is me. Me want. Right. Me want cooking. Me want. You know, he doesn't have time to say, I would like to have a cookie. <laughs> right, <laughs> he right. He just goes for it. Right. Cookie! So that's kind of how that language came out without me knowing it. Mm. It would be a shame to ask you to come here and sit and talk and then not have you do a voice. Would you be willing to do a voice? Absolutely not. Okay, great. Um, and that now, was Fozzie Bear. I think now, that was Fozzie? Or was that, I'm who always was? asked to do that. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you the reason why. Because one is I, I, I'm not a trick pony. Money. It's money. No, it has nothing <laughs> to do with money. But those characters, we all work and I work very hard to keep them pure. Right. So if I do a voice for you, they're not pure anymore. It's just showing off. Right. So what? So I keep the purity as much as I can. You know, we never do anything with those characters, even between takes, mm-hmm. with bad language or anything. It's not that we're such goody at two-shoes. It's just because those characters are pure, mm-hmm. and we have to keep that purity or else those characters won't work. That's a friend, Bert. A pal. 
Not minding, that's what friends are for. I am messy. Really messy. But you don't mind if I am messy. If I'm messy, you don't mind it. That's what friends are for. You need that interaction. And did you, and, and just finally, did you and Jim, feel, did you feel like you had that with Jim? That bounce, someone to bounce off of, some creative yeah, partnership? Yeah, it took, it took a while, but but yeah, after about 15 years or so. Really? It took that long? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Why did it take so long? You can know a human being intellectually. You can know him emotionally, I suppose, but you don't know the very heart of him and mm -hmm. you don't know the rhythms of him. It took me years and him years until we got so close. So when we did Piggy and Kermit, we could just, we could ad lib. If I did Grover and Kermit, I could ad lib. If Fozzie yeah. and Kermit, ad lib. Bert and Ernie, you know, because we, we were really close, but it took a long time because you want to make wine, not grape juice. Sure. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to have a brilliant dance number by our own Fozzie Bear and friends. But, uh, excuse me one second. Fozzie? Yeah, 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 watch, watch, watch. Uh, Fozzie, be careful. There's a very slippery place on the stage out here. Where is that? I don't know. It's right around here somewhere. <laughs> Thank you. Did you feel like sometimes maybe you were like a one of the great comedy duos, Laurel and Hardy, Abbott and Costello, that kind of thing? You know, we don't, we never think that way. Uh, we, we're workers, hmm. and we love what we're doing, but we let other people say that. I mean, I, I, I can't judge that. All I know is that we had a lot of fun doing it with Jim. Hard work, but a lot of fun. So I'm not in a position to uh, say that stuff. I, that's somebody else who will right. decide that, you right. know. Well, I'll say it. I thank think you, you are. And it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank and you. thank you so much. This oh. has been such an illuminating and insightful and funny and sometimes disturbing conversation. I think it's been kind of creepy too. Creepy hasn't it? too, right? There's elements of creep. I would have used creepy, not disturbing. Okay. Let's go with creepy. Cre creepy is kind of really low right. low run. Right, right. You have no idea <laughs> the look on his face right now. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Frank. Pleasure. Happy to be here. Hey. I didn't know you could play the piano. I didn't know it either. I'll join in. Frank Oz, ladies and gentlemen. And although he would never say it, he definitely is part of one of the great all-time comedy duos, Frank Oz and Jim Henson. If there's a legacy Jim Henson left behind, it's more than just the characters, the movies, or the songs. It's that sense of playfulness and joy. It's what kept the Muppets relevant for 60-plus years and what will make them attractive to new generations of audiences for a long, long time to come. We should all be so lucky. I'm Asif Manvi. Thanks for listening to Lost at the Smithsonian. Lost at the Smithsonian is produced by Mary Beth Kirshner. Our executive producer and editor is Ellen Weiss. Technical support from Robin Wise. Fact-checking from Danielle Roth. And scripting by Alex Berg. Mixing and sound design by Casey Holford and John Delore. Original theme music by Casey Holford. Our supervising producer is Jordan Bell. And our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Huge thanks to the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Eric Jentz, Ryan Lintelman, John Troutman, and Laura Duff for all their help in making this show. Lost at the Smithsonian is a production of the Scripps Washington Bureau and Stitcher. I'm your host, Asif Manvi. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Asif and Facebook at Asif Manvi. If you like the show, 
don't forget to rate and review it on the Apple Podcast app. It really helps other people find the show. Thank you so much for listening.